Thanks, Amelia. And welcome, everybody, to our Sunday morning teaching time. We're working our way through 1 John, walking in the light. 1 John and the path of living deeply in Christ. This is part six. And the the topic I think I want to look at this morning is how to have assurance. How to have assurance, knowing that you're saved. The text uh, deals with this so specifically, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Get a Bible, okay? And let's study together for a little while. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. John writes and says, By this we know that we have come to know him. So right away, we can see what his topic is. It's assurance. By this we know we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a, is a liar. Doesn't sound very complimentary. But look what he does. Does not keep his commandments is a liar. And it's like there's more. The truth is not in him. And you wonder, are those the same thing? I think the lie is a statement, an act of deception. But when he says, and the truth is not in him, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, not just saying something untrue, but not even able to come to the truth, not having anything inside that resonates with truth anymore. So there's kind of an inward bankruptcy, uh, uh, an inward deception. Okay, verse five. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. Look, by this we may be sure. Do you see the topic? By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I don't think John could make the subject any clearer than he does in those four verses. He's talking about assurance. The two key phrases are in verse 3 and then 5. This is how we know we have come to know him. And 5, by this we may be sure that we are in him. That's what John's talking about. He doesn't want them just to be in Christ and have fellowship with God. That's obviously great and important, but John wants more. He wants these Christians to have the joy of certainty. He wants them to know that they know Christ. I think we need to hear what what John has to say. I mean, coming to Christ is certainly coming to God. It's, It's bigger than just our best mental comprehension. There's Great, beautiful mystery for sure in knowing God. But, but that's not the part John is really talking about. John wants these Christians to know some things for sure. God is mystery, but he's not all mystery. And John wants to help these Christians to, uh, to be possessed by a firm, unshakable confidence about what they have experienced in Jesus Christ, God the Son. I think to see where John is taking us, maybe it's helpful to go back before we go forward. He's already made some things really clear. 
He's already made it clear that words alone don't produce conversion and words alone don't verify a walk with God. It takes more than talk. We've studied these verses already. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So this, you, you can't just confess yourself into this relationship with Christ. The tragedy of that kind of saying one thing and living another is, is not only that that kind of Christianity doesn't work, but that you start to feel the phoniness of it in, in your own heart. It kind of drains your soul of energy because there's nothing more difficult than trying to convince yourself you're in the light when your heart argues that you're not. You feel like you're trying to pass a $3 bill somewhere. So it's not that John isn't loving in these words that we're studying. He is loving. He's confronting, but he's ultimately genuinely loving because he wants to call these people into certainty, into joy, into authenticity. He, he wants to draw them deeply into a walk with God that, that feels genuine because it is genuine. Let's study this together. Point number one. I want to start by examining what, at least in my opinion, what I think is a false understanding of the New Testament teaching on the doctrine of assurance of faith. There's a text you just have to look at because it's the classic text that so many people talk about. Romans 8, 15, and 16. Paul is the writer. And he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now look at this. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, our spirit, small s, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, that's the verse that gets so frequently, rightly so, applied to the subject of assurance. My own opinion is the way it gets uh, applied might not always fit best with the context and what Paul is actually saying. Let's say I'm, I'm here's how I think it gets interpreted. I'm really struggling in my Christian walk. Maybe I've been trying to give up some secret sin, uh, harboring some unloving attitude. Possibly I'm just worn out with the ongoing battle, something emotional, something physical. At any rate, I just feel far from God. And then, and then the, the Holy Spirit comes and he kind of whispers into my heart, don't worry, Don. You're still my child. I still love you. You don't have to worry about slipping out of my hand. And then so many times this is thought of as being the role of God's spirit bearing witness 
with my spirit. He simply comes and, and kind of calms and soothes and tells me, no, no, don't worry. You're still on good terms. Everything is fine. Now, I don't in any way question the doctrine of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with my spirit. It's right there in the text. Bearing witness with my spirit about my adoptive sonship with a heavenly father. I mean, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit does this, and I believe he does it, and I believe with all my heart that he does it. What, in my opinion, gets confused at times, and it's what I want to look at today. I want to look at how. How does the Holy Spirit bear witness with my spirit? How does he intend to do that work? What should I be looking for him to do? And, and most important, what is, what is my role in that process? After all, Paul makes it clear, there's two spirits involved. His spirit bears witness with my spirit, his, mine. Two spirits are involved here. To me, this is not just theological hair splitting. I, I think it's, boy, I think it's relevant. And I think it's extremely important and, and practical. And I think there may be, there just may be sincere but confused Christian people waiting to hear a voice in their minds, but who never do get what they're looking for. And so they, they live with maybe needless condemnation and fear. Some maybe assume that, well, maybe they aren't saved at all. That's sad. But that's not the only problem. There's another. It's one I've encountered at least a few times over the years. I've come to see there are people who say they do hear a voice telling them that everything is fine, but then you 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 talk to them about their lives and some some cherished, uh, unrepented of, persistent sin that they justify, it just, it just, to me, gives evidence to the fact that they shouldn't be hearing a voice telling them everything's fine because it isn't fine. And whatever they think they're feeling, telling them that everything's fine, it probably isn't the Holy Spirit. So for all these reasons practical reasons, I think. I just want to look at Paul's famous words in Romans 8 first. I want to do that before we return to John's words in 1 John 2. And, and what I want to try and show is that they both teach exactly the same thing. So one doesn't say one thing while the other verses say something entirely different. That's a bad way to interpret Scripture. So point number two what does Paul actually teach about assurance? And, and to get at that, let's go back to Paul's words in Romans 8, but let's just pull in a few more verses of the context and see if that helps clear things up a little bit. So we're going to look at Romans 8, and let's look at 10 to 16, okay? So it's a bit of a longer text. Get a Bible, follow along carefully. Romans 8, 10 to 16. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, 
The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. That's not what we do. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, here it is, Abba Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. couple of thoughts, okay? A, I think Paul goes to pretty great lengths to outline this process of living in the life of Jesus. I mean, it comes, he says, as I yield to the Spirit. Paul says that as I live in Christ, the Spirit helps me fulfill my debt. He uses that word, my debt to live to the Spirit. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And secondly, Paul says that as I live in Christ, I, 13, put to death the deeds of the body. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 13, you will live. Okay, so there's some context. Now, B, then Paul uses that very famous phrase that almost everyone knows, even if they can't tell you where it's found in the Bible. Paul says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. That's in verse 16. Now, the, to my mind, the question that becomes very important is, is quite a simple one. What does a witness do? Any witness. What happens when a person testifies, bears witness for someone else? And I, most of us, I think, know what a witness does. The job of a witness is to put forth evidence. He saw something happen. He heard something said. He speaks out about what he knows to back up a case, either for the defense or for the prosecution. Okay, C. Paul seems to recognize that in all of our lives, I've experienced this, I'm sure you have too. In all of our lives, there'll be days and seasons where we feel more saved than other times. Paul also knows that my feelings, Don Horbin's feelings, aren't always a reliable guide in gauging my sanctification. So, so my relationship with Father God through Jesus Christ, God the Son, it's too precious just to be left to my psychological inward states, how I feel at some kind of moment my passing whims. I, I need something more solid for a foundation for my assurance than the way I feel. 
So where will I turn? What happens when those times of just, you know, emotional uncertainty and fatigue, what happens when those times come? And specifically to our text, what does the Holy Spirit do? When I wrestle with those feelings of, of weakness and insecurity and doubt, what does the Holy Spirit do? What kind of a witness does he bring? Well, Paul says he, he talks to my mind. He speaks to my spirit, small s. The Holy Spirit, 16, bears witness. He bears witness with my spirit. But, but, but what does he say? How does he do it? Well, Paul says he, he marshals Evidence. That's what a witness does. He, he reveals things. He shows my own mind the areas where there has been a marked progress, not perfection, but a marked progress in growing and yielding to the Spirit. Of course, man, I'm not perfect. I still fail and I still repent, trusting in incredible grace. But but Paul says the Holy Spirit doesn't leave me on my own. He helps me remember all the areas where I've learned to renounce and forsake those things he's led me to forsake. And that's incredibly important. I'll tell you why. Because in times of discouragement, fatigue, weariness, I can easily overlook areas of my own spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit won't let me do that. So in other words, the Holy Spirit points out the changes that the new nature has made in my behavior. That, of course, leads to the last point in this important process. So D, the Holy Spirit is still always the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the witness that he brings only deals in truth. So he always points to growth and purity. He bears witness with my spirit, but he doesn't lie on my behalf. He, he won't take evidence that doesn't exist. I mean, in other words, the assurance given by the spirit is tied directly to my obedience to the will and word of God in different areas of my life that I might not even be thinking about at the moment. If I never act saved, pick an extreme. If I never act like a Christian, if I never obey, it's highly unlikely that the Holy Spirit's going to come along and help me to feel saved. I think this is a basic point in understanding New Testament certainty. Salvation is always by pure grace. It is always free, undeserved, though not unconditional. Those aren't the same thing. Spiritual life, salvation is given on the basis of repentance and obedience. But there's more. While salvation is by grace, I want to say something, and then I'd like to show it to you from the Scriptures. Salvation is by grace. Assurance is by obedience. 
It flows out of my obedience to the Lord. Now, maybe that's a new thought to you. And if you don't, you shouldn't just believe me, but let's just check it out from some scriptures, from a lot of scriptures. Look at these ones from, from 1 John, all right? Remember what I said. Salvation is by grace. Assurance is by obedience. 1 John 2, verse 3. By this, he's going to tell us what this is. By this we know that we have come to know him. What is this? What does the Bible say? By this we know that we have come to know him. There's what the this is. We keep his commandment. Just clear as a bell. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Okay, what is, what's the this? Well, it's, it's the same as in this text up here. The this is, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what this is. Let's look at more. First John 3, 14. We know, here's assurance, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So there's that, that outward act. So John says, that's how we know. That's how we get assurance. First John 3, 18 to 20. Same thought. It's just repeated over and over so we don't miss it. Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. You wonder here, all those things, if anyone says he loves God, if anyone says he abides in him, it's not talk. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, okay, now we've got to see what that is. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. So clearly this is assurance. And reassure our heart. He says it twice before him. For whenever our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. But again, let us not love in word, talk, but in deed and truth. By this, what is it? Well, it's deeds in truth. These are not verses. Please, please hear me. These are not verses about earning our salvation by good works. They are not about that. These are verses about knowing we are God's children. These are assurance verses. No one, John is not talking about doing good deeds so you can get to heaven. That is not what this is about. He's not talking about getting to heaven. He's talking about knowing that you are in Christ. Assurance. I, I don't know of any exceptions to that simple principle. In every verse we just read, and many more we didn't. And in the context of Romans 8, too, those verses. But here, John isn't talking about salvation directly. He's talking not about being saved, but about knowing we're saved. And it's always, in every case, without exception, it's tied, assurance is tied to obedience. Now, let's wrap up with one more point from our passage from First John So point number three, 
What does John teach about living the Christian life with full assurance in our hearts? Well, A, he describes the Christian life as knowing him. By this we know that we have, we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. He doesn't say we come to know about him. He says we've come to know him. So clearly, John doesn't mean just some kind of a theological download. He, he, he's not talking about just dry knowledge. It's not just the cold, static accumulation of facts. It's not just speculations about Jesus. To, to know him means my, my heart, my mind, my will, what the Puritans used to call the affections of my life, they're just constantly drawn to him. In all the scriptures, to, to know God always means a, a loving obedience and a loving devotion. It's true, even in the Old Testament, I was looking at prophet Hosea. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord, the Lord has a controversy. You've got to pay attention when the Lord says that. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's, there's no faithfulness. No steadfast love. So look, no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, break all the bounds, bloodshed follows bloodshed. They're very telling verses. How could the writer say, these people didn't know God. They had the commandments. They had the temple. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had all the regulations about purity. They had all of the sacrifices. God spoke to them pretty regularly through the prophets. How could anyone say they didn't know God? Well, because that, that's not enough for knowing God. These people didn't know God because they were cursing and lying and stealing. They were sexually impure. They were mean and cruel to each other. And so the writer just has no problem saying, whatever you people know, you don't know God. And that's what John says in these verses. B. John describes the Christian life as a life lived in him. You see that really clearly in that fifth verse. Whoever keeps his word, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, here's assurance, we may be sure we are in him, in him. Now, John takes this a step further. We know him. We are in him. That's, that's John's way of explaining the kind of knowledge Christians have of God through Christ. And we know it's a really important concept to John because John recorded these words, got this idea from Jesus himself. You know these familiar words. 
This is the way Jesus talked about the very same thing. Abide, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I didn't want to even start to count all of the abide in me phrases, in me, in you, abide in me. I mean, the point is really a simple one. I'm, I'm to be in Christ the way a branch is in a vine. And we know how a vine works. I mean, whatever flows up the vine flows into the branches. The, the life of the vine manifests itself in the fruit on the branch. You can't, especially in these days, you can't have one kind of life in the vine and another kind of fruit on the branch. Jesus pointed out more than once, you can't gather grapes from a fig tree, Jesus said. Vine and branch share only one kind of life. And so John's epistle just aims to apply that one principle. John says it's just so basic, so universally true that if anyone says he's in Christ, he must. He simply must walk as Jesus walked. It's not a matter of how he ought to walk. John's not offering advice or a recommendation. He says it's a, it's a must issue. It can't possibly be otherwise. So, the Christian life isn't just a series of propositions that I hold as being true about Jesus. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. It's, it's his life working out as fruit, his fruit on the branches of my thoughts, his fruit on the branches of my speech, his fruit on the branches of the objects of my love and devotion, his fruit working out through my attitudes, his, his fruit in the websites you visit, his fruit in the movies you watch, his fruit in the relationships you build, his fruit in the husband and wife relationship, his fruit in my reactions to the way people mistreat me. Paul picks another principle to illustrate this same truth. We've been talking about it a lot on Wednesday nights. Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, are being transformed into the same image. Same image. It's like the, it's like the vine and branch. Same life. Only here it's the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the same principle that John deals with in our text, but it, it probably makes a little bit more specific the sure hope we have been given, even though this transformation is gradual, it's ongoing from one degree of glory to another. It's not instantaneous, but it's real. While the transformation is graciously gradual, it's still the same divine life of Christ manifesting itself in my being. 
I still remember as a small kid, four Horbin boys, I can remember the very first time on TV, it was black and white, an old movie that just about scared me to death. Remember watching Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I can just remember, just remember seeing Jekyll turning into Hyde, staring into the mirror, watching these fangs grow and facial hair and eyebrows. It was just an incredible sight for four boys just before bed with milk and cookies and a gullible babysitter who didn't really know what we were doing. Now, think of that illustration. Paul describes the same process, but in total reverse. As I, as I look into the gracious face of my Lord, his, his glory starts to transform me. I, I start to resemble him. The life of the vine flows into the branch. That's the test of any spiritual practice that's designed to bring me closer to the Lord, be it worship, prayer, Missionary service, seminars, retreats, podcasts, devotions, church services. How can I know if I'm meeting God? Well, I'll know for sure when I encounter that same old temptation later in the week. I'll know for sure if it's working when I face that brother that I used to resent. I'll know for sure when I'm called upon to start giving generously, tithing to the Lord's work. If I've met the Lord at church, I'll act differently. And if I don't act differently, here's the thing. If I don't act differently, if at some point of rebellion, the life of the vine isn't flowing into the branch. If in beholding the glory of the Lord, I'm just seeing mental data without seeing glory, then I'm going to have a hard time, a hard struggle finding assurance and the joy of the Lord. Those are going to be hard to find. And if all that sounds a little bit legalistic to you, I just pray you haven't forgotten John's heart. See, he's, he's pumping for confidence and assurance in our walk with God because John knows, aged John, that this is the best way to live life. He doesn't want anyone missing out. Make sure the pathway of the word and the inner life, the witness of the spirit, make sure that those line up in your soul. Any other approach will hollow out your faith. Stay in the word. Yield to the spirit. Give the spirit something to witness to when the devil brings his accusations against your soul. Build the inward spiritual evidence because that's where the joy is and that's where the assurance is. Tonight, we're going to keep going with our soul food series. How we got our Bible and how to read it. So we've kind of spent seven weeks or so on that first part. Tonight, I want to start preparing your heart 
for a transforming reception of God's Word. Preparing your heart for a transforming reception of God's Word. 6.30 tonight. And then, of course, every Wednesday, 7 o'clock, our midweek devotional refresh. 32 weeks now in Mark's Gospel. We'll finish that up. God bless you, church. Love one another.